Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. Um, just as an announcement, just so you know, um, I have a cold. I like to tell everybody that I have a cold. You know, they talk about this thing called the man flu, and I don't know if that is in fact the case, but my wife hates when I'm sick because I'm just down for the count. I just cannot live life when there's just like any bit of amount of discomfort. So that's me right now. I think a little bit of, <clears throat> so bear with me all as we kind of get through this day together. Uh, if it is your first time here, we are in week three of our Christmas series called The Same Old Thing, where we are kind of just talking about this idea that Christmas is great. Like, I love Christmas. We love the music, we love the gifts and the decoration, but when we're talking about the actual story of Christmas, the, the story of Jesus' birth, I think if we're being honest, we've kind of let the story go a little bit stale. So we kind of, when December's here, we kind of go on autopilot. We've heard the story so many times if you're a Christian, even if you're not, you just, you've heard the story. It's on TV all over the place. And, and it's just kind of nice, great, Mary, Joseph, manger, next, 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 let's move on, that kind of a thing. And my hope was that during this series, we could deliberately pause, tap the brakes and say, all right, let's try to go back. Let's try to hear this story as though it's the first time. Let's try to relearn some truths that maybe we forgot. Let's try to pick up a couple of things that maybe we didn't know along the way. So week one, we talked about Mary. We talked about how life threw her curveball. And I think that happens to a lot of us. You know, we, we find ourselves in a situation, you know, in a circumstance that we never would have chosen for ourselves. And we're just kind of like, how did we get here? And how we're supposed to respond and react to that. And last week, we talked about the shepherds, this idea that God gave the greatest announcement there ever was, that Jesus is born. And he gave it to the shepherds, these guys who were considered to be social outcasts, really, uh, pariahs of the, of the city. Really, the, the religious system said, you are unclean. You can't come to church. And, and what God was doing when he brought that message to them was saying, I'm here for you. I'm here for every single person. So today I want to talk to you about three groups as we kind of come down towards the end of the story. I want to talk to you about the wise men, also known as magi. I'm going to kind of use those terms interchangeably. I want to talk about King Herod, and I want to talk to you about the religious leaders. So in the story today, what you're going to notice is that all three of these groups got the same memo, so to speak. They all got the same news, but their reactions are all very different. And I was thinking about how that's so true of us as humans, you know, when we watch a news program or whatever, we're all getting the same news, but we all react so differently to the things that we hear. And I just think it's, it reminded me of a story in my own life. So we all remember, we're all, let me see, yeah, everyone's old, maybe most of us, remember where we were when 9-11 happened. It's just clear as day, you remember exactly where you were when that happened. And if you're older, you remember where you were when JFK was assassinated. So for me, I remember distinctly where I was when my dad told me that I was going to start taking piano lessons, okay? And it, listen, it was, I was at the Jersey Shore. I'm from New Jersey. I was at the Jersey Shore. I was sitting at the dining room table, my mom across, my, my dad to the right. And I'll never forget his words, and I'll never forget even the way that he said it. He goes, John, we have wonderful news for you. Just like that. We have wonderful news for you. Great. What is this? You know, a puppy? What are we, what's going on? When school starts, you're going to start taking piano lessons. And folks, it was like being shot in the chest, okay? And I'm not like an overly dramatic person. Maybe I am a little bit, okay? But I remember, this is, I leapt up from the table. I burst into tears, and I ran out of the house, okay? 
I'm not exaggerating. I literally ran out of the house. I ran down the middle street in our neighborhood because the kind of streets went like this. I ran down the middle street. At the bottom, there were these couple of trees. I got into the trees, and I just cried, just weeping and gnashing of teeth for, honestly, it felt like two hours. I mean, I don't, it was a long, long time. And my parents, we were talking about it. They go, John, we have to be honest with you. When you did that, we just could not stop laughing when you left the house. We just thought, oh, my kid is really overdramatic. But I was like, how is my dad, this man who supposedly loves me, how does he think this is, a good, this is good news? This is the worst news. And I made them pay for it. They made me go for seven, and we don't fight. Like, we never fight as a family. But for those seven years, because I stopped in eighth grade, I made them pay. Oh, they rue the day that they told me. Every night, it was a battle, and there was tears, and it was not good. But anyway, the whole point of this is that we have different reactions to news when we hear it. And my goal today, as we kind of talk about these three groups, is have a conversation about what does our reaction to Christmas indicate? And when I mean Christmas, I mean sort of Jesus, who he is, what, what his job is on this earth, so to speak. What, what does that indicate? And my hope is, as we go through this day, it will be kind of a litmus test for you, for, for your spiritual life. And I think it's good to, every once in a while, check in on your spiritual life, on your walk with God. There's a real Christian-y term for you, to sort of see how, you know, how are you and God are doing. Are you making progress? Is your spiritual life kind of stagnant? Or are you going the wrong way? And I think, you know, even if you're married in the room, you know it's important every once in a while to kind of tap the brakes and say, hey, how are we doing? What, what's working? What's not working? Do we need to celebrate some things? Do we need to work on some things? And so that's the goal for today. So we are going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, if you've been here before, what you know is I kind of like to read a couple of verses and stop and teach a little bit. But Matthew has written this passage in such a way that I, I can't do that. He's kind of screwed me in a way. So what we have to do is something I've not done before. I'm going to read the whole story to you. Now, I was a little nervous with this for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you've been here before, you know that I'm not exactly good at reading off the monitors. And number two, hearing 12 verses read is kind of long. And so I timed it out, and I thought it took about a minute and 33 seconds. My buddy Scott in the first round timed it, and he goes, 45 seconds. You're good. We made it through. It's fine. So just know this will take about 45 seconds, and then we're going to go back, and we're gonna, you'll make it through. Trust me. All right? Here it is. Matthew 2. Ready? Here we go. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, magi, or wise men, from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For you, this part of me, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which, had, which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. We're almost done. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground worshiping him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. There we go. There's the story. So, let me just wreck Christmas real quick for you about this little verse right here. So we sing the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. So what you see is, number one, they're not kings. Okay, these are wise men or magi. Number two, we don't even know if there's three of them. There's just three gifts. So there you go. You could sing that song and have fun with it, but it's all kinds of wrong. So when we're talking about different responses to the news of Jesus, there, there's a couple of things, a couple of ways that we can respond. But for the magi, what we see is that Christmas is inspiring. It's inspiring for them. So, so the question is, who, is the, who are the Magi? Who are these guys? Okay. We don't really know a ton about them, but we know a couple of things. Number one, we know they're from Persia or Babylon. Now, Persia is about 900 miles away from Bethlehem. So I wanted to kind of give you guys an idea of just geographically how far they traveled. So what's, you know, what's 900 miles away from Fort Lauderdale? Believe it or not, Weston is about 900 miles away. Okay, I don't know if you... Okay, when I go to my buddy Dwayne's house out there, I go, am I still driving? Have we not even got, we're on Pine Island? Oh, my gosh, no. But for real, okay, if you live out there, you know. If you, and if you drive to this church from there, God bless you, that's a hike, all right? But in reality, Washington, D.C. is about 900 miles away. It's far. Um, our word magic comes from the term magi, so that lets us know that these guys were involved in some type of what I'll call occult practices. They're priests. Now, they're not Jewish. They're not Christians. That religion hasn't even become a thing yet. So they're in some other kind of religion that's old, and we're not exactly sure what it was. But what's important is that we know that these guys studied the stars. They, they looked at the heavens, and they were able to discern a lot of things from looking at the stars. And the big question for Christmas is kind of, well, how did they know that this star pointed to the Messiah? I mean, I look up at the sky at nighttime, and I just see like a bunch of stuff. Okay, I could pick out the Big Dipper and Orion's Belt and all that kind of a thing, but how do they know that this particular star was pointing to the Messiah? And if they're not Jewish, how did they even know what the Messiah was? So theologians aren't entirely sure about the answer to this question, but the vast majority of them believe that at some point, these wise men came into contact with Jewish captives. So we do know that from the book of Daniel, which is a book in the Old Testament, you may know Daniel from Daniel in the Lion's Den, a very famous, you know, um, children's ministry story. Um, we know that Daniel was a Jewish man who was taken captive by the Persians, by the Babylonians. God brought him into his government and used Daniel mightily inside this government. And so from Daniel's book in the Old Testament, we read this, Daniel 2.48. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, that's Persia, as well as chief over all his wise men. So theologians look at this and go, all right, well, clearly this king of Babylon had a cadre, if you will, of wise men at his disposal. He put Daniel, this Jewish man, over these wise men. And if you don't know, Daniel was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Daniel tells us much of what we know about the end of the world. He tells us much of what we know about the coming Messiah, that was Jesus. And so clearly at some point, Daniel was pouring into these men, or into the, the wise men group, so to speak, and letting them know there's a Messiah coming. Here's what the Messiah is, and here's what you need to be looking for. 
And I was thinking about how he's doing this and how he's pouring into these people's lives. And for so many of us that are Christians, someone at some point planted a seed in your life. At some point, maybe it was a coworker or a friend or a family member, they were just saying, hey, you know what? Let me tell you about this guy, Jesus. So let me talk to you a little bit more about God or, or, or why I go to church. And at first you hear this stuff and you think, well, it's just facts, just kind of information. You probably don't even believe it. But at some point along the way, maybe it's days, months, weeks, years, I don't know. At some point, you kind of see a star, right? Just like the wise men. They just saw a star. And things click. Things make sense maybe just a little bit more. The puzzle starts to come together. Maybe you're somebody who bought a Bible and you tried to read it, and maybe out of nowhere, huh, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Or maybe an event happens in your life where you say, oh my, now I see who Jesus actually is. And you wanted to learn more. And you kind of stepped out in faith and you said, you know what, I'm going to go back to that person who talked to me about Jesus. Or maybe I'm going to go to church. Maybe you decided to come to here at DHC. Well, that was the Magi. They saw this star and they go, this, is, this has got to be that star about, about the Messiah. And so they walked 900 miles. They left their families. They left their homes. They left their kids. They left their jobs. They risked it all to go find out who this Jesus person is. And when they finally got there, I love what the scripture says. It says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I just love the clunkiness of this wording. We don't, we don't speak like that. We rejoice exceedingly with great joy. You see, for once, the, the translators of our Bible into English, they try to say, let's capture exactly what these guys were saying, exactly what Matthew said. He, th- these guys were ecstatic. There, there's really no words other than they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy to describe how they felt when they saw Jesus. And why wouldn't they? I mean, the prophecies that they've been studying for hundreds of years came true. God finally showed himself to be real. And the Messiah arrived. And their lives were changed. And they rejoiced with great joy. But not everybody was happy, okay? Because for some, Christmas is intimidating. For some people, the story of Christmas, the concept of Jesus is intimidating. Take a look at this, particularly for Herod. So here he's speaking with the Magi, and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. So why is he troubled? What's so intimidating about a baby? What, 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 what is so intimidating about Jesus's very existence? So for Herod, Jesus represents a challenge. So what you may not know is that Herod's formal title was King of the Jews. That was a title bestowed upon him by the Roman Senate, and it was a title that he absolutely loved. He loved that title. He loved his power. He loved the the power that he had in that region. And what we learn through history, not necessarily through the scriptures, is that Herod was an absolutely ruthless leader. They say that he's as ruthless as the emperor Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, that's not a good thing. Herod would protect his power at any cost. In fact, we learn that he actually killed his own wife. He killed his own two sons because he suspected them of treason. So anything that was going to get in the way 
of his authority was a problem. And so when these guys from a different country show up and start talking about a heaven-sent king of the Jews, that's not good news. Not for this guy. See, because he knew that for Jesus to reign, he'd have to be deposed. He knew that if Jesus was going to be in control, that Herod couldn't be. And I think this is probably a problem for a lot of us, maybe even all of us, this idea that if Jesus wants to control our lives, we can't be. And I think as Christians, if you're a Christian in the room, we like to think that we've submitted to God. And we kind of think of our life as a house, and we've opened the front door, and we say, Jesus, have at it. My life's an open book. Whatever you want to go, you're in control. I submit to you. And then he kind of walks over to that one closet, and the door's closed. And he goes, well, what's in here? And you go, well, that one's new. I'm in control of that area. This, this part of my life, I'm in control. I don't need you to touch this thing. Because I believe that for many of us, perhaps even most of us, we want to be the person who sets the rules, who calls the shots, who plans the future, who says things like, you know, I'm going to be the person who decides what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to be the person who decides what my life is going to look like. I'm going to be the person who decides what my future plans are. My life, I'm in control. Thank you very much, Jesus. See, I think a lot of us, and particularly even society, we love baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is great, right? Doesn't do much, doesn't talk, it's cute. He's in a little manger. We love it. You see the little crash in the front lawns. We love that. We love Christmas trees. Everybody has a Christmas tree. I have friends that aren't even Christians who have Christmas trees. And that's, I, just, I don't understand that. But they love Christmas trees. And we love Christmas music. Innocuous Christmas songs. They're just, they're great. Other than baby, it's cold outside. You can't sing that one anymore. That'll, that triggers you, okay? But generally speaking, we have no problems with any of these things. We love the idea of a cosmic concierge. I made that one up this week, okay? This guy in the sky that we can just fire off requests to. Hey, Jesus, you know what? I need a new job. Got a little issue going on health-wise. Can you help me with this issue? Okay, I got, I got some family stuff. Can, can you step in with this? Can you heal me, Jesus? I, I need all this. But King Jesus? Well, that's a problem. Because when King Jesus shows up, he's the guy who says something like, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Well, we don't like that. Baby Jesus doesn't say that. But King Jesus shows up and he starts saying these things and, and we lose our minds. What right do you have to say this? Who do you think you are that you can say that you are the only way to God? And we lose our minds. And what do we do? We do a couple of things, right? First, we, we cast out. We say, well, Jesus is a great guy, great teacher. Uh, we'll even call him a great prophet, but God? No, he's not God. No. We'll call it bigoted. We'll say it's, you know, it's outdated. You can't, you can't teach that stuff. It's outdated. It's bigoted. You can't go. It's, no, 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 no. And we try to outlaw it. And we just say, you know, this Jesus stuff, we can't have it. We've got to outlaw it. And society, and maybe even we're guilty of saying, you know what, Jesus, he can exist. Sure, absolutely. As long as he exists for us. As long as he serves us, does what we need him to do, but submit to him? That's not going to happen. Let him control my life? 
Now, recognize him as king? Absolutely not. So what did Herod do when he found that there was another king in town? It says this. Herod sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. He did this based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. You don't see this on like a Hallmark Christmas card, okay? This is like kind of a part of the Christmas story that we leave out, and this is not happening in Christmas plays, okay? But the reality is when you read this, you, you, it's so obvious that we've absolutely whitewashed Christmas. We sing songs like Silent Night, A Little Town of Bethlehem, and they're great songs, and we should sing those songs, and they're wonderful, but you have to recognize that when Jesus was born, when God came to this earth, oh, it was a violent place. And the enemy ramped it up when Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh. War started when Jesus entered the picture. So the last group that I want to talk to you guys about is the spiritual leaders. Now, what's interesting about the spiritual leaders is they essentially play what amounts to being the smallest part in the entire Christmas story. They don't really have many speaking lines. You don't really think a lot about them. But I believe that for Christians, for people who said yes to Jesus, I believe that we can learn more from this group than any of the other characters in the entire story. Because for this group, for these spiritual leaders, for these Jews, Christmas is the same old thing. Ooh, we use the sermon title. There it is, okay? okay. So it's like when you watch a movie and they finally say the name and you go, did you hear that? Oh my gosh, you know what this is called? A title drop. The more you know, there it is. When a movie uses its title, it's called a title drop. So at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelations, Jesus is talking to a group of churches and he's got a couple of notes for them based on what he sees. And he's got a term that he uses for a particular group of Christians. And I think this term is perfect to describe the spiritual leaders in the Christmas story. He coined this term lukewarm. Lukewarm. So how does this play out for our story? So you take a look at the Magi. And the Magi or the wise men were absolutely on fire for Jesus. They were reading the scriptures. They knew it was coming. They walked 900 miles to go see him. They risked everything. When they got there, they fell on the ground and worshipped him. They brought him gifts. It was everything for them, and they were on fire for the Lord. Then you've got Herod, and Herod is the exact opposite, ice cold, vehemently opposed to Jesus, killed children, two-year-olds and under, trying to stop him. Now we look at these two and we go, well, where do we fall as followers of Jesus? on this spectrum, if you will. And I think most of us would kind of be like, well, all right, I'm not a magi, okay? I'm not walking 900 miles, but I'm not King Herod, okay? I'm not killing kids, okay? I mean, I mean I'm okay, but, you know? And the logic of this world would tell you that that makes sense. You go, you know what? I'm good. I'm good enough. It's not a problem. I'm good enough. So Jesus was speaking to a group who basically said, I'm good enough. And look at his words to them. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were either one or the other. 
So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's kind of like when you make coffee in the morning and you put it by your computer and then you get a call, you know, it's 20 minutes later, you go to take that sip and it's like, it's awful. There's nothing worse than lukewarm coffee. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He goes, guys, I'd rather you see you be ice cold to me than this lukewarm garbage you got going on. Now, one of the things that we know about Jesus when he was on this earth, his sense of humor was one of hyperbole, which is grand exaggerations. He used big exaggerations to prove a point. And I think here, I don't think he's trying to be funny, but I think he's trying to say, hey, pay attention. I need you to love me. I need you to be on fire for me. So how does this play out with these spiritual leaders? Well, the first thing that we see is that they had head knowledge, but there there was no heart change. It was just all up here, but there was nothing going on down here. Take a look. So Herod grabs them, and he gathers together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. He's not asking like where Joe Schmo, anybody else is. He goes, where is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one that we've all been waiting for? Where is he to be born? And they said to him, oh, in Bethlehem. They just knew. They just knew the answer. Oh, the Messiah? Bethlehem. Yeah, that's where we're just, you know, down the road. There he is. In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They didn't have to look this up. They just knew it. They knew the scriptures so well, they could just recite it by memory. And, and I was looking at this and I go, well, wh- what's it doing for them? What impact is this knowledge having in their life? It's, it doesn't seem to be changing them. I mean, they didn't even go to see Jesus. And I was thinking about my own life this week, and, and I'll pose this question to you. See what you think. Are we letting the word of God actually penetrate our hearts? And I'm just talking to the Christians in the room right now, because I know we have a a wide variety of people here. People who have said yes to Jesus here in this room. Do you actually believe what you're reading? When you read the scriptures, do you actually believe it? Or is this just something you've memorized that you can just spew off if somebody asks you a question? Do you really believe that God answers prayers? Do you actually believe that God heals? Do you really believe that God's in control? Have these promises changed your life in any way? Or do you just use it to quote to other people? Oh, bad day? Romans 8, 28. Okay? Do we actually believe these things? In the same book of Revelations, when Jesus is talking to these group of churches, he, he goes to another one and he goes, look, listen, love you guys. He goes, but you've lost your first love. You've left your first love. He says this, but I have this complaint against you. This is a very good thing when Jesus says, hey, I've got to talk to you about something, okay? i got this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you, as you did it first. He goes, I, I need to be your first love. I need to be your highest priority. And I'm looking at your life, and you look busy. And you even look busy in your temple. You even look busy in your church. But i got to be honest with you. It's because I think you've gotten used to God. I think you've taken Jesus for granted, he's saying. 
And he looked at these Christians and he goes, I need to be your absolute highest priority. And you look at the spiritual leaders in this, this section and it's like they knew the Messiah was six miles away. And they didn't go to him. Six miles away. And they didn't get off their chair. I just imagine the story taking place and Herod asked them and they go, well, he's, he's down in Bethlehem. It's six miles, but eh, traffic's bad. You know where he's living right now? Parking is just up to bear. The exit you got to take to go there, it's closed. You got to do this thing to get there. Work this week was brutal. I got to be honest with you, my boss was all over me. I just, I don't have it. I can't. The game is on. I'll go see Jesus next week. When I have time, I'll go see him. And yet, the Magi walked 900 miles. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They put their faces in the dirt, the original scripture says. They brought him gifts. Guys, I was reading this week, and i got to be honest with you, I was unbelievably convicted. Okay? And I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me right now. I was so convicted that I have let my own spiritual life become so lackadaisical, just so lax in everything that I do. Reading the Bible, prayer, singing songs even here in church, you know what I mean? Sharing faith with others, serving other people. Eh. Six miles away. I'll get to it when I can. It's almost like God has become an obligation. When I have time, thank you very much, I'll do some Jesus stuff. And I was thinking about my own life, and I go, imagine if. Imagine if we just put a percentage of the effort into our relationship with Jesus as we do the gym or our careers or beauty regimens we're planning our vacations. I mean, the excitement we have over these things, the amount of hours we spend every day, forget about weeks, months, and years, on these things. We pay people to help us with these things. We read blogs about these things and go to conferences about these things. But Jesus? Yeah six miles away. I'll deal with him when I get some time. And I was just saying, you know, what if we lived our lives like something great actually happened on Christmas? I mean, what if we actually lived our lives like the Savior of this world was actually born on Christmas? That should you say yes to him, that you and the creator of the universe have been made right? That should you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the God himself, the third part of the Trinity, enters your body and changes you from the inside out. That God himself promised to never leave you nor forsake you, that would be with you wherever you went, that made you the person you are, that has enabled you to be the person you are now to make a difference in the world. What if we actually lived our life like that's true? 
What would this church look like? What would your family look like? What would this city look like? But he's six miles away. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at this church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So the first one is this. I would challenge you, depending on where you are in this life, to take a leap of faith. I think for some of you, I think for some of you, you're feeling the pull that the Magi felt, that maybe there is this guy named Jesus, that maybe he is who he claims to be. And I would just challenge you in light of today's story to follow that star. You don't have to understand it all. The Magi didn't. But just say yes to following after that star. Come talk to me or Christina or anybody with a DHC shirt. We will help you on that journey to understand exactly what this whole Jesus thing means. But I would just challenge you to jump in. Say yes. It will change your life here and forever. For the Christians in the room, I would challenge you to rediscover. I think for a lot of us, you know what, all of us, let's just put us all in this boat. I think our joy has dwindled. I think we've gotten used to God. I think we've gotten used to Jesus. And the truth is, we're humans, okay? We're human. It happens. But during this season, let's, as we're doing it for the message, let's tap the brakes. Let's hit reset. Let's try to, you know what, let's refuse to take God for granted. Let's try to remember exactly who Jesus is for us and what he did in our life and what he's doing in this world. Let's try to rediscover the joy that the Magi felt, that rejoicing with exceedingly you know, joy or whatever that was. What if we could get just a little bit of that in our life this year? God deserves it. Let's give it back to him. He's done a lot for us, okay? He's done a lot for us. Christmas happened. Let's start living like it did. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come here today and to talk about your son, Jesus. I want to thank you for everybody that came out, that went the distance to learn more about you. I pray, God, that if there's someone here in this room today that is trying to figure out who you are, who Jesus is, I pray, God, that the star would shine bright, that you would give them the encouragement, the strength, the bravery to say, I want to learn more. I don't understand it all, but I want to learn more. I pray that for them right now. I pray, God, that for those of us in the room who have known you for quite some time, maybe even our whole lives, Lord, I pray that today during this season, you would help us rediscover the joy of our salvation, to understand who Jesus is, that he came to this earth as a baby, 
that he took on flesh, that he died on the cross, a painful death, so that we could be made right with you. God, how can we forget that? But we're humans. Help us to remember. Lord, I don't know what everyone's going through today. Every single one of us has stuff going on in our lives. Good things, bad things. But I just pray that today you would meet every single person at the place of their need. Whatever struggle it is, whatever is going on, I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit to work in a mighty way in their, in their life. Lord, they would feel your power perhaps in a way they've never felt it before. God, I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.